This is WOBC 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. You're listening to Climate Justice Radio. Let us think of what we can do for us and our descendants to survive. 1.5 to stay alive. 1.5 to stay alive. needs to be done to keep global warming in check. Scientific evidence remains inconclusive as to whether human activities affect the global climate. So we are here as a people, demanding rights to be recognized. We as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. The time has come, the walrus said. Perhaps things will become worse and then better. Perhaps there's a small god up in heaven readying herself for us. Another world is not only possible, she's on her way. Maybe many of us won't be here to greet her, but on a quiet day, if I listen very carefully, I can hear her breathing. The topic of today's show, Children of the Wild Ensemble Theater. Children of the Wild Ensemble Theater were in Oberlin last week on Thursday and Friday. Their mission is to, quote, make original works of theater and film that further the rewilding of industrial spaces and the human spirit as a part of a common struggle for social and environmental justice. They work with communities who have been harmed and abandoned by industry and perform in primarily post-industrial sites and sites of ecological devastation, working to promote the self-autonomy of those communities and ecosystems. They offered a night of film and performance at Oberlin on Thursday with several songs from their project The Wastelands, one of which you're listening to right now. 
here's part of the trailer for the Wastelands project. some moments to think now about the pain right that we're all trying to let go of the grief that we're all trying to release and to recognize that you may not be the only one suffering that there are others around you that suffer every day the planet is suffering right now our earth is bleeding we must become aware of what we have done and start changing by making the changes inside of ourselves. Thank you so much for coming tonight. I sat down on Friday with three out of five of the members of Children of the Wild for an interview. I'm Michael Holbert. I'm an ensemble member in Children of the Wild. I'm Lindsay Swan, also an ensemble member for Children of the Wild. Uh, I'm Walken Schweigert, Artistic Director for Children of the Wild. And, yeah, what's the Wastelands Project? Uh, The Wastelands Project uh, involves a performance, a theatrical performance called The Wastelands, uh, and which was toured across the Great Lakes region um, uh, this year uh, from June to October of 2016, um, and also involves a documentary film uh, about the Great Lakes uh, and the Great Lakes Commons um, to be premiered in 2019, um, and a book, uh, an atlas uh, also about the Great Lakes region um, that we hope to have finished in 2019 as well. Um, uh, I can speak to the performance aspect uh, of the project. Um, the performance, which is simply called The Wastelands, uh, is a, um, a traveling uh, experimental opera uh, based on, loosely based on Dante's Purgatorio. Um, and we uh, performed the opera in places that had been abused and abandoned by industry uh, across the Great Lakes, so in abandoned mills, silos, uh, parking garages, um, all different kinds of industrial infrastructure. Um, And the essence of that performance is to, was to explore ideas of rewilding in a human and a social context in places that were in states of being rewilded in an environmental context. The Wastelands is also a story about grief 
and of healing. And how did the uh, how did the project get started? Uh, the project, the Wastelands project, uh, came out of a um, the previous project of Children of the Wild, which was na- which was made under the name of the Unseen Ghost Brigade, uh, in which we created a performance about some of the untold histories of the Mississippi River, and then toured that performance down the Mississippi on a raft that we built ourselves, um, and after uh, after that six month journey. Uh, Myself and another ensemble member, uh, Augustine Ganley, made a documentary film about the people that we met uh, called Twilight of the Mississippi. And uh, one of the people that we interviewed for that film uh, was a park ranger uh, at the time by the name of John Anfinson. And he, uh, there's, in our interview with him for the film, uh, we asked him about what he thought the future of the Mississippi would be, and what he told us was that the Mississippi is going to become more and more and more controlled in the future. And the more we control it, the more we have to control it. We're going to constantly have to manage the river to try to freeze in time in the river we want, uh, but it's just going to become more and more controlled. It's going to become like a garden. It already is like a garden with a bunch of manicurists. Um, and this... Uh, that sentiment fit very well with um, a uh, an angle of research that we had been pursuing uh, on that journey, which was that what was destroying the Mississippi uh, was not um, sort of these symptoms like pollution of industrial expansion, but uh, the forces of industrial control themselves. So, you know, um, the lock and dam system. Uh, on the Mississippi, for example. And so we began to think that if it is these forces of control that are at the root of what is uh, destroying the environment and destroying our uh, humanity, what um, what is the antithesis of that? And we began thinking about the wild. And then, of course, we began thinking of, like, well, what are the transitional places? And so that was how we began to think about rewilding. Uh, And those places that are in transition are what we call the wastelands. Um, And our research began there and looking at this environmentally. But as the Wastelands Project evolved, uh, we began looking more at what... um, what rewilding meant socially, uh, what it meant for us as individuals in this ensemble asking these questions, and what it meant um, for communities. Um, And began looking at how misogyny is a force of control and white supremacy is a force of control. Um, Colonization, of course, a force of control. I think I'd ask more about the... um the term rewilding um, in your mission statement you talk about the rewilding of industrial spaces and the human spirit as a part of a common struggle for social and environmental justice I haven't I hadn't really heard that term before I guess I was wondering kind of the origin of it and what it means either artistically or literally so we encountered the term rewilding um, through the Rewilding Institute, which was founded by Dave Foreman um, f- 
formerly of Earth First. So yeah, it was a it was a term that emerged in the '90s from the conservationist movement, um, basically as a way of describing uh, the practice of um, of natural landscapes, biological landscapes, reclaiming themselves. You, oftentimes through an absence of human presence and human activity, um, although there's there are there are branches of it that that talk about um, human assistance to natural landscapes rewilding themselves, and um, in particular, like one of the tenets of rewilding is bringing back apex species to any. Um, ecosystem. So the top predators um, connecting them to the core of that uh, ecosystem and um, building corridors, um, particularly through the built landscapes that humans have created, like uh, creating safe corridors for, you know, migrations, for instance. Um, and we also sourced from the Rewilding Institute a list of ecological wounds, the greatest um, ecological wounds that um, became part of our research. You mentioned working with um, communities that have been harmed by industry, and in the last couple of days you've also used the term sacrifice zones. Um, I was wondering about what that... Um, process looks like of engaging with people in those communities and um, yeah how you collaborate with them well up until up until now our work with um, community members has largely been um, a, a process of inviting people to give a testimony at the end of our performance and also um, doing interviews with people as part of uh, the documentary film mm. and soon to be this atlas um, putting together this Great Lakes tour um, we started reaching out to um, organizations uh, as well as individuals that we had heard about or that we had encountered in some way um, <clears throat> and um, t uh, visited the places where we wanted to perform through three different uh, research and outreach tours and more or less just asked these various communities, you know, what their stories were and who they recommended to tell that story. On the, on the non... Uh or not necessarily a social justice side, we've had an uh, incredible amount of community support from people who uh, live in the towns that we're performing in, people who we've reached out to, people who support us by giving us a place to stay, or like helping us find food, or helping us find sites, or the people who own the sites where we're performing are often uh, very active in the community and very supportive of us uh, being there and, and welcoming and not just bringing people to our shows and engaging with us 
but also being uh, pretty active participants in helping our shows get off the ground uh, and supporting us, wanting us to be there is, is it's nice to have an invitation. I think that our performance uh, in Lorraine definitely stuck with me for sure um, in a big way. I think that we uh, we were hosted in part by um, the Firefish Festival, um, uh, which happens every year. Uh, and we were able to. There's a group of kids that um, of youth that uh, that the Firefish Festival works with. Um, we were able to uh, do a workshop with them and mostly theater of the oppressed uh, um, exercises. Uh, and they also helped out with the show, um, and were, uh, yeah, collaborated with us on producing it, really. Um, I think I want to say that I was, um, surprised and a little, um, disheartened on our tour by, um, the fact that we did not encounter, um except in, I would say, in all but one place, we did not encounter really strong resistance movements. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially coming out of this performance series pipeline processions in Western Massachusetts, where we had been working with uh, a really coordinated effort to stop a fracked gas pipeline. Uh, I sort of had in mind that we would be hitting these, like, hot-button issues... Mm. Um, and that there would be movements on the ground of people fighting, you know, one thing or another, everything from, you know, Black Lives Matter to, uh, the cost of public transportation to, um, you know, development on the the shore. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was hard to find. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we did find were these... Um, this handful of individuals that were really sticking their necks out to um, talk about um, problems that were affecting their their homes or their community spaces. From what um, definitely I've witnessed since I've been in Ohio is those people who are those groups of people that are working in resistance against other pipelines or police brutality or just things like getting public transportation um, are um, very tired and very frustrated um, and especially with the anti-fracking movement in Ohio a lot of them are older and can't do things always like um, go around and canvas or <laughs> Uh, March and they've just been doing it for years and seeing uh, y'all's work last night in the performance it seemed very renewing and uplifting um, and I wonder if you could speak on like um, whether through art or any other means like what it looks like to bring that regenerating energy to movements and like bring new life into movements uh, I think the biggest thing for me was um, how our performance could never mean one thing. It had a very, um, 
uh, it was very open to interpretation and had um, no uh, like linear or scripted uh, message um, which um, I think really affected our audiences um, and people were able to um, to find things that were really inspirational to them in our show mm-hmm. um, and that really impacted them um, so that was that was really incredible to see that happening um, and then also similarly I think the um, part of the way in which we we worked where we were able to draw people together from different types of communities mm-hmm. um, people that we had done workshops with or um, people communities that were hosting us um, activists organizers that we knew and then also artists um, people were finding each other and um, either rediscovering or discovering really interesting relationships amongst themselves Mm -hmm. and I saw that happening a lot um, like in the aftermath of our performances Uh, one thing that I I don't think we've touched on at all um, even in the conversations that we've had you guys is that um, we would have a facilitated conversation after each performance. Um, So we would perform, have the testimonial, and then we would lead the audience, the entire audience, to a reception area in which we would, you know, have reception, but we'd also have a conversation um, that allowed people who uh, who came to communicate with each other and with us uh, over the issues that were brought up, and a lot of connections were made uh, in that circle as well. I think another thing that uh, is important to um, mention is that um, uh, several of us in the ensemble um, are queer um, uh, and transgender and um, we did a lot of outreach to those communities along the Great Lakes as we traveled as well and I think that um, uh, we had um, uh, fairly strong uh, showings uh, from that demographic in our audiences which I think was really great because I think that the story that we were telling um uh, was queer in a lot of ways. Um, and like when you talk about bringing, um, you know, life to, uh, to movements, I think that, um, making theater that is queer, um, and not just about queerness is something that has been really important to me for, uh, for the queer movement and for queer communities, um, that we don't need to be making art that is always about explaining or or defending our existence to people who aren't queer, um, or um, or staying within like the stereotypes of queerness that people understand. Um, I think that there is, you know, 
arguably uh, you know, at least one, if not more, heroes in our story. Um, and uh, their journeys are, um, are not the normal hero's journey. And we spent a lot of time crafting uh, the story of our <laughs> surrealist, nonlinear performance um, to... Uh, to be, um, to not be like the normal ending that you would expect, you know, I mean, in my hope, uh, in my hope as a director is that when, is that one of the things that people take away from our show is that, um, is that something else is possible. Struggle does not need and will never look a particular way. Um, that triumph doesn't look a particular way. Um, and the people who are struggling and triumphing might not, uh, don't need to look a particular way. Um, I think that one of the most important battles being fought r right now, uh, is, um, is about the stories that are told and the narratives that are told. Uh, and it's very important to me that we are challenging those, um, and also that we, at the same time, are not um, challenging them simply to replace them with other stale narratives, but mm -hmm. that what is really being pushed out there is uh, a hope for people to be dreaming and imagining for themselves. And so what Lindsay was saying about our show being something where um, you can... It's like a dream, you know, that you can have a lot of different interpretations of, and that's a very intentional choice on our part one of the main it sounds like the main themes of the wastelands project you said is grief yeah just living um like within an empire and having you know kind of a society where violence is normalized whether that's uh violence against people abroad or people here or ecosystems uh, where violence is normalized and you know we just kind of live in a dystopian time <laughs> um, yeah it was just interested to hear more about like where you think that grief fits into your work where it fits into movements and like how you overcome how you like identify grief and let it happen and also overcome it hmm. I think that grieving alone uh, can be very isolating but I believe that grieving collectively can be very empowering and very healing hmm. and so I think part of what uh, another thing that I was hoping that we would do with the wastelands is offer a space for people to grieve collectively and that that, in and of itself, is a powerful act. Just going to take a quick break from that interview there. Um, this is, uh, you're hearing an interview with children, with three out of five members of Children of the Wild Ensemble Theater. Uh, this is WOBC Oberlin 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. You're listening to Climate Justice Radio, and uh, we're going to break for a song. This is Grid by Perfume Genius.
also I appreciate um, something else that Martine Prechtel wrote about, which was um, the difference between grief and wallowing. Mm-hmm. And any time that someone is in a process of wallowing, they're not truly grieving. Because grief is an expression of joy and love and celebration um, for the thing that was lost. Um, and that if it is not um, if it is not tapping into that source of love, then it is not um, transforming um, it's not transforming the person or the relationship. So sometimes in pipeline fights and certain environmental movements, uh, those who get the most visibility, at least, are often white folks and often uh, middle and upper class folks. Um, So you spoke to some of this today, but can you talk at all on your efforts to... Um, work against white supremacy through um, your work and how you have uh, worked to support racial justice movements? Um, Well, I think that we uh, uh, in our ensemble have a firm commitment to anti-racist work um, and a lot of that uh, looks like deconstructing uh, white supremacy within our ensemble and also uh, within the communities that we come into contact with. Mm. Um, I think also we have, as part of that, we have an understanding that environmental issues um, and industrial projects consistently disproportionately affect communities of color. And so when we were doing our outreach um, and lower income communities, so when we were doing our outreach uh, to find the sites for the Wastelands project, um, which we did three separate tours uh, across the Great Lakes region over two years uh, to find uh, our collaborators um, and to find uh, our partners. Um, we, uh, we looked for people who were part of those movements, people who were affected, um, and uh, looked for ways in which we could both build solidarity and uh, and support what their work that they're doing. I think we, um, you know, we have seen uh, through the you know, albeit short history of our uh, of our work that um, we have the potential to generate a lot of attention um, because our. Uh, you know, work, it involves circus elements, uh, we perform outdoors in public, um, so a lot of people are curious about what we do, and, um, <clears throat> we can, uh, attract sizable audiences, you know, and so we have tried to be very precise about, um, who and what and where we are drawing attention to. You know, there's, in our performance itself, there is no, there's no talking, um, mm. no one speaks uh, well it's, there's a very brief introduction at the beginning the majority of cases um, the person who had the testimonial at the end of our show was a person of color so I think that there's something structurally that's significant about that mm. you know that uh, that is the voice that you hear speak mm-hmm. in the show you know is not a white voice and that was intentional 
Yeah, we we did our best to uh, connect with those communities and try to get um, the voice of that community. Um, I I want to say that it's it has it has been uh, an interesting process to be an all white ensemble engaging with not just the testimonialists um, who were people of color but uh, the communities where we were performing um, were often you know <laughs> uh, it was it was often in an area that was you know uh, very outside of um, of the the general city scape um, and making that as accessible as possible was uh, sometimes a challenge but something that we tried to focus a lot on and we had to we actually had a lot of options that we we decided against uh, site wise because of uh, accessibility yeah like you know if they if it wasn't on a bus line for example you know if it was a place that you had to drive to we were less inclined to perform there because we wanted people who you know maybe normally take the bus to be able to come to the shows and of course all of the shows were free so that made that made it uh, accessible to um, a lot more people I don't um, have any more questions really would be interested to hear if there was any like favorite memories from the tour that you <laughs> wanted to share. <laughs> I think one of my favorite tour moments was from uh, our show in Lorraine. Um, this woman named Monica, who is a part of Firefish, uh, was our testimonialist, and um, uh, her testimonial um, was a poem that she had written inspired by our performance Hmm. and uh, I believe the first time that we heard it or at least the first time I heard it was at our opening night in Lorraine Hmm. I I wanted to weep like I mean I was still on stage the performance is sort of still ongoing like while the testimonial is happening or at least like the perform there's a scene after the testimonial also um so uh you know we're up we're up there on stage if you can call it I mean you know we were on top of a parking garage but we're you know there with her helping her hold uh the space and it was um it just was incredibly it just was incredibly powerful and I felt like it was this moment in which um I was like yes this is why this is why we do this show Mm. it was like our dream was meeting her dream and out of that was coming this whole other experience that I um could never possibly have imagined I guess I just want to say that uh for those of you who are fighting the pipeline, um, you can win. You can do it. These are fights that you can win, and I think we're going to start winning more and more and more of them. So don't give up. And there's, you know, there's a million ways. There's a million ways to fight it.
So find whichever one your heart is in the most and go for it. There's something that um, we were all told recently by a, a, a friend who's an um, organizer and visual artist in Minneapolis. He says that um, what he's been fighting for years is the um, the mentality of defeat that exists, that permeates the activist communities um, and that if we started to have a uh, mentality of winning, we would and it um, it's a big part of what we work on in our ensemble uh, and uh, in ourselves is how um, how this culture and this society colonizes the mind
That was Walken Schweigert, Lindsay Swan, and Michael Holbert from Children of the Wild. You can check out uh, Children of the Wild at childrenofthewild.org. And the two songs you heard at the beginning of the show uh, and just now come from their project, The Wastelands. I wanted to speak today... um, before closing out on the decision by the Army Corps of Engineers to not grant the permit for energy transfer partners to drill under the Missouri River for the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, And I want to support um, and echo the statements of many water protectors who have said that while this is a momentous occasion uh, brought on by the daily struggle of um, an incredible indigenous-led resistance movement um, and that it should be celebrated. This move can also be perceived as a de-escalation tactic, um, and those opposing the pipeline should remain uh, vigilant and should not necessarily um, celebrate a reroute in of itself. Um, Energy Transfer Partners has also made clear its decision to drill with or without um, a permit from the the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, So I wanted to go to uh, Democracy Now! for more on this topic. Veteran and member of the Navajo Nation, who's been at Standing Rock for the past five and a half months. He's a movement artist and member of the Indigenous Veterans Council at Standing Rock. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Remy. Your response to the Army Corps of Engineers announcing they will not grant a permit for Energy Transfer Partner to build the Dakota Access Pipeline under the Missouri. Uh, Amy, um, I'm really kind of skeptical about the the ruling. Um, I think everyone at camp is also cautious as well, and we're just moving forward with continuing to really winterize, and until the project has actually ended, um, we will continue to move forward in the same fashion that we have been all along. So you're a veteran. It was the Army that made this decision to deny the permit. Your thoughts about that? No, I think it's great that we have some sort of solidarity with the other armed forces that were here and uh, the ones that are doing things in Washington and other places. So it's great that we have this type of um, movement generation where we were able to reach across all of the armed forces. How did veterans standing for Standing Rock come together? With how many would you estimate have now descended on the resistance camps? Uh, the project was eventually uh, this project was put together by Phyllis Young and Wesley Clark. Uh, Phyllis had put out a call to Wesley, and he answered. And with him came over two thousand veterans to Standing Rock. Wesley Clark, uh, right not now, to be confused with the general who ran for president. Oh yes, Wesley. <laughs> Wesley Clark Jr. Um, So right now you have about almost 10,000 people here at camp in support of our movement to stop this pipeline. This is maybe a little off topic, but can you tell us about your grandfather, what it meant to be a Navajo code talker? 
Uh, well, to clarify that, that was my grandma's brother. So in our culture, I call him Shiche. Shiche Mike Kiani uh, was a Navajo code talker. Uh, he was instrumental in winning the uh, World War II, uh, the code that was never broken. And so coming here and seeing other members of other armed forces who have gone through other battles and persevered is something that I take with me and I've always had with me. Um, he was a holy person and uh, his prayers, our songs and traditions remain with me and have kept me here and protected while I've been here in Standing Rock. How long have you been there? Been here over a five and a half months solid, but originally uh, Weaki Eagleman, one of the original people who answered the call from Standing Rock, he's from the Sichangu tribe, he actually uh, invited us out over seven months ago. That was Remy, um, a Navy veteran and member of the Navajo Nation, in an interview uh, with Democracy Now!, um, so this has been uh, Climate Justice Radio on WOBC Oberlin 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. Uh, you can find Climate Justice Radio on Facebook and SoundCloud oh, and iTunes as well. So you've got all kinds of options for how to li- listen to recordings of the show. Oh, I'll also say there will be a show uh, next week. This is not the last show. This is the penultimate show. Um, But next week, Climate Justice Radio will be same day Tuesday, but at 11 a.m. So I don't know if there are any regular (laughs) listeners. But if there are, tune in 11 a.m. in addition to uh, 10 a.m. So going to close out with Look At Us. Um, uh, Leonard Peltier and American Indian Movement song uh, brought to us by John Trudell in the album Tribal Voices. At times they were kind, they were polite in their sophistication, smiling but never too loudly. Acting in civilized manner, an illusion of gentleness always fighting to get their way. While the people see, the people know, the people wait, the people say, the closing of your doors will never shut us out. The closing of your doors can only shut you in. We know the predator. We see them feed on us. We are aware to starve the beast is our destiny. The times they were kind, they were polite, but never honest. We see your technological society devour you before your very eyes. We hear your anguished cries exalting greed through progress. While you seek material advances, the sound of flowers dying carry messages through the wind trying to tell you about balance and your safety. But your minds are chained to your machines and the strings dangling from your puppeteer's hands, turning you, twisting you into forms and confusions beyond your control. 
Your mind for a job. Your mind for a TV. Your mind for a hairdryer. Your mind for consumption. With your atom bombs, your material bombs, your drug bombs, your racial bombs, your class bombs, your sexist bombs, your ageist bombs, devastating your natural shelters, making you homeless on earth, chasing you into illusions, fooling you, making you pretend you can run away from the ravishing of your spirit, while the sound of flowers dying carry messages through the wind, trying to tell you about balance and your safety. Trying to isolate us in a dimension called loneliness, leading us into the trap, believe in their power, but not in ourselves, piling us with guilt, always taking the blame, greed chasing out the balance, trying to isolate us in a dimension called loneliness, economic deity seizing power, through illusions created, armies are justified, class systems are democracy, God listens to warmongers' prayers, tyranny is here, divide and conquer trying to isolate us in a dimension called loneliness. Greed, a parent. Insecurity, the happiness companion. Genocide conceived in sophistication. Technologic material civilization, a rationalization, replacing a way to live. Trying to isolate us in a dimension called loneliness. To God, we hope you don't mind, but we would like to talk to you. There are some things we need to straighten out. It's about these Christians. They claim to be from your nation. But man, you should see the things they do all the time, blaming it on you. Manifest destiny, genocide, maximize profit, sterilization, raping the earth, lying, taking more than they need in all the forms of the greed. We ask them why. They say it's God's will. Damn, God, they make it so hard. Remember Jesus? Would you send him back to them? Tell them not to kill him. Rather, they should listen. Stop abusing his name and yours. We do not mean to be disrespectful. But you know how it is. Our people have their own ways. We never even heard of you until not long ago. Your representative spoke magnificent things of you, which we were willing to believe. But from the way they acted, we know you and we were being deceived. We do not mean you or your Christian children any bad, but you all came to take all we had. We have not seen you, but we have heard so much. It is time for you to decide what life is worth. We already remember, but maybe you forgot. Look at us. Look at us. We are of earth and water. Look at them. It is the same. Look at us. We are suffering all these years. Look at them, they are connected. Look at us, we are in pain. Look at them, surprised at our anger. Look at us, we are struggling to survive. Look at them, expecting sorrow be benign. Look at us, we are the ones called pagan. Look at them, on their arrival. Look at us, we are called subversive. Look at them, descending from name callers. Look at us, we wept sadly in the long dark. Look at them, hiding in technologic light. Look at us, we buried the generations. Look at them, inventing the body count. Look at us, we are older than America. Look at them, chasing a fountain of youth. Look at us, we are embracing earth. Look at them, clutching today. Look at us, we are living in the generations. Look at them, existing in jobs and debt. Look at us, we have escaped many times. Look at them, they cannot remember. Look at us, we are healing. Look at them, their medicine is patented. Look at us, we are trying. Look at them, what are they doing? Look at us, we are children of earth. Look at them, who are they? <laughs> 